0: This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level.
1: traders this is eddie horn from top step trader this is limit up where we talk with traders market participants and trading psychologists to help you improve your trading well here in the broadcast booth i am joined by jay rudman the ceo of top step trader hello
2: jay hey eddie thanks for having me back well jay
1: today we're going to be talking with brian lund longtime trader twitter personality and he's a musician too and uh, we're going to talk about how he got into trading and then we'll dig into his thoughts about position, sizing, and process. I'm excited. You know, Jay, I'm excited too because uh, he's a trader, a longtime trader. Um, he's a musician and uh, Twitter personality. This is something different that we're going to do here on the podcast.
2: Yeah, I'm sure Brian will be full of lots of great ideas and mm-hmm. lessons learned. It'll be really helpful, I bet, to our younger traders.
1: And to our older traders too. There's a lot of great information that he's got you ready? I'm ready. All right. So, all right. Let's get into it. Uh, here's my conversation with options Futures trader, Brian Lund. All right. We've got Brian Lund with us. Um, what I'm told is he's a great father, a good friend, a decent writer, a great trader, a lacking husband, a solid drummer, sometimes funny, often an a-hole, terrible poker player, too smart, punk rock, and works in an ice cream shop. Well, I'd like to say... Welcome, welcome, welcome! Very nice to have you. How are thanks you? Thanks for having. Thanks for having me, Brian. Very nice to have you here. Uh, no, Brian, uh boy, you've got uh you've got a lot there on your resume. Uh, that's that's a lot. Pretty eclectic, huh? Now, great father. How many kids you got? Got two. Got an eight year old and a twelve year old. There you go. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Pretty soon that twelve year old is going to be going. Dad, can I use the keys of the car? Uh, don't even, don't even go there. Uh, I'm, I'm preparing you. I'm preparing you, my friend. But anyway, we've got, uh, we've got Brian on here, Brian Lund, and uh, he's popular in the Twitter community, trading community. Uh, but uh, let's get this started, Brian. Um, finding out how you got started in the financial trading business. Please uh, share that story.
0: Yeah, you know, from the time I was a kid, I was really fascinated by the market, and uh, they used to have these things called papers and I would look at the papers every day and look at the stock quotes. And uh, when I got to be old enough, 18 years of age, I went and opened my first brokerage account. It was at a Dean Witter, which uh, used to be in Sears stores. So I went back by the Craftsman Tool section and met Randall Woodworth, which was the name of the broker. Uh, a very waspy, typical broker name. Yes, I think so. Like, Randall. <laughs> yeah. And I told him, uh, I said, Hey, I want to buy $300 worth of Altos computers. Uh, now, I'd seen Altos computers on a cable access show. I didn't really know what they did. I assumed it had to do with computers because that was in their name. And so I said, Hey, I want to buy $300 worth of this. And he said, OK. Um, Give me a call in six hours, and I'll let you know at what price you got filled. And so that was my entry into the world of stock trading. What happened to those stocks?
1: You
0: you know, uh, Altos, I believe, was a scratch. And I think the second stock I bought was something, some sort of chewing gum company, not Wrigley, but something else that was a scratch. But then my third stock that I bought, I bought on a tip from a friend who uh, told me that this stock – Uh, He actually worked at the company. It was going to be the new default desktop publishing uh, program for IBM. And I said, all right, great. So I bought a bunch of it, and it turned out that that company was Adobe. And when that was announced, I made more money in basically two days than I had made the last five years working summer jobs. And, of course, I told everyone I was going to be a millionaire and retire by the time I was 25. And they say that the worst thing that can happen to a new trader is to have success right away and that's right away. exactly exactly what happened with me so
1: well we got you here today very nice to have you <laughs> very nice Thanks. to have good you. Good to be here yeah good to be here uh, now brian tell us a little bit about uh the progression not you, you did the stock thing you, you moved on to other things um looking down the road you wanted to be a millionaire i think everybody wants to be that that uh, that millionaire now uh in this business, you know, a lot of people did start out with, uh, I got a hundred bucks or 200 bucks. or my grandfather said, put some money here, or my uncle did this. And I said, I want to do this. Our friend did this. And it, we follow through. And, and sometimes, like you said, that Adobe, that Adobe came through very nice for you. Um, but, uh, you know, some of us were brought on the open outcry, um, with, uh, floor trading and, you know, thrown to the fire
0: uh, on the open outcry. Now, have you have you traded open outcry? No. You know, the one unique aspect of my trading career, if you call it that, is I've always been a retail trader. So okay. I've never worked for a, a desk or an institution. Uh, I've seen the same problems uh, that uh, other retail traders experience. Uh, so I can uniquely kind of speak to their, their issues and their concerns and their problems. But I've always been on, on the retail side my whole life.
1: Now with electronic trading, would you consider uh, the population more or less looking like retail, smaller retail? Well, uh, what do you mean for, uh, for traders, for local traders for for the stay-at-home dads, the soccer moms, um, being behind the computer, seeing all the information? would you consider that uh, retail?
0: Yeah, I definitely I consider retail anything where you have an account with like a brokerage, um, where you're using some sort of um, third-party platform to access the market. Um, much different than sitting there with a Bloomberg terminal or being on a, a trade desk for a big institution, and certainly you know, eons away from being in the pits like uh, you and some of my friends were. Okay, now what's your trading style? Well, if somebody asked you, uh, you give us uh, Brian. What's your trading? What? How do you trade? Well, I'll tell you what. I'll back up a little bit. Um, you know, after I made that first trade in, in nineteen eighty five, I really had no idea what I was doing, and I went through nineteen eighty seven when the market dropped twenty three percent one day, and that kind of scared me. And I figured that if I couldn't if I couldn't get a, some sort of handle or edge on what I was doing, I was going to have to give it up. And early nineties, I came across a bulletin board on one of the first online uh, communities called Prodigy and it was called the money talk bulletin board and i found some guys there some traders that introduced me to technical analysis and that changed my whole view because for me i'm the type of person that needs some objective criteria i know there are other traders out there that kind of go by their gut or their feel or their instincts or they go off fundamentals or, or reports or whatever but i'm just not oriented that way so Ever since 1992-93, I've always focused on the technicals. So I will uh, day trade or I'll swing trade based upon setups, and I try to be pretty simple. I try to keep it simple. It's mostly um, breakouts above resistance or pullbacks to support. Uh, intraday, I'll use five uh, five day or five period moving average and a nine period moving average. Uh, If they cross over on a breakout, I'll buy. And as long as they stay above the nine on a close, I'll hold on to a position. So I try to keep it really, really simple. I've tried all the different indicators and all the different uh, methodologies over the years, and they just just confuse me. Right. Now, uh, how about products
1: throughout your career? Now, we talked about that uh, the early days uh, in trading. What did it progress to?
0: So started obviously with with stocks, uh, and then went to options, and now I trade a mixture of stocks, options, and mostly uh, NQ, the Nasdaq E Mini. All right. Now challenges. Now growing
1: up as a trader and uh, having the passion, desire, this is what I want to be. Uh, what were some of the challenges before you started seeing success?
0: Well, I think the biggest challenge was trying to figure out what style of trading fit my personality. And this is something I'll tell new traders. You know, everybody thinks in their mind uh, that they're a certain type. Back in my day, people would watch uh, Wall Street or they'd read the Market Wizards books and they would kind of project or reverse project those images on themselves. Like I want to be Gordon Gekko or I want to be, you know, some crazy guy that's taking wild swings and is going to make millions of dollars. The problem is, is that when they actually put money in the market, they find out very quickly that their personality doesn't match that style. And so my biggest hurdle was trying to figure out how I could trade in a way that worked with my personality. Because if you're the type of guy that says, you know, I'll give a position a lot of time. I'm a swing trader. And then you get in there and you're down 50 bucks and you want to sell, maybe that's not... The style that works best for you. So I always tell people to to take a hard, a long hard look at themselves, and to be really honest about what their personality type is, and then try to match it with a style that works.
1: You know, one thing you said I want to add on is, you know, uh, the Hollywood Trader. Um, you know, you watch these movies, and it's like, boy, you know, I I want to do that. You know what? I can do that. I can do that. I I want to do that. It's like the movie Trading Places. Remember at the end, there it's uh, the, the orange juice market is just going nutty, yep. and uh, you know he's like, sell you two hundred ten, you and you and you. See, the thing is, in reality, uh, his out trade clerk would have gone insane. I mean, he would have had. <laughs> He would have been on the phone with him right away, uh, calling people, and uh, and we've got we've got a we've got millions of dollars of out trades here. Um,
0: I wish you not only that, but how many people watched that movie and had no idea that at some point they were shorting orange juice futures, right? And and had no idea what shorting was, right? right, Exactly,
1: was exactly. So,
0: um, but anyway, talking about
1: uh, internationally and uh, globally popular. you're in the uh, Twitter trading community, all right. You're big on Twitter. You've got a great trading community, Stock Twits, uh, Stocktoberfest, Twitter. Uh, how has that being active in there helped you trading?
0: Well, it's there's pluses and minuses. Um, the way I look at Twitter is I follow very curated group of people. Uh, I have lists set up with specific traders that I know the quality of their trading. Um, I know they're straight shooters. And so in one sense, they can be an extra set of eyes for me. I mean, nobody can follow every stock and especially when the market's fast, you can't see what's happening. So if I'm watching Twitter as well as my screens, somebody that I might respect say, Hey, there's a setup coming up here or keep an eye on this. Now that will give me, um, the green light to not just trade the stock, but to go look and look on my charts and see if it's setting up. So that's kind of nice. Um, the downside is that you can obviously get uh, you can get sidetracked. You can get into the weeds on Twitter. Um, I try to stay out of that because I I want to be focused between 630 and 1, which is the, the times I trade on the West Coast. Uh, I will say that the other thing that's really good about Twitter, and this is a unique aspect of it, doesn't come into play all that much, but it did last week, is Twitter is a good tool for gauging market fear. And when you start seeing a lot of people freaking out on Twitter, that's the time that I'm starting to look to see, okay, we might be putting in a bottom. And of course, I don't just go in and say, oh, we're putting in a bottom because people are freaking out. But I'm now looking at the the futures closer. I'm looking for that big spike down with a big spike in, in volume and a reversal hammer. Um, so sometimes the, the chatter on – I imagine what it is. I, I imagine what it is. It's con- kind of like order flow when you were in the pits, right? From what I understand from some of my friends that traded in the pits, you could tell based upon the level of noise for uh, the traders yelling back and forth to each other – how the market was flowing. So that's kind of the, the modern version of of that, um, which would be Twitter.
1: Right. uh, I see exactly what you're saying. And it's a, it's a good correlation. Uh, didn't think of that, but, uh, you know, since you're on it, you can read it much better. You can see what people are saying and how they're reacting. And that's usually like a vent. Twitter can be a vent. I know that, uh, You know, on the broadcast here, I I use it for a lot of news, like breaking news, because a lot of people want to be the first one to uh, say that this happened, or why did the crude break, or, you know, why is gold, you know... rallying so hard uh, right. and you get that information and then, and then you sort of break it down you take a look and say where'd they get that you break it down
0: and and you find the root of it and uh, it usually plays out but yeah uh, i mean it's it's twitter is basically an information fire hose and so you have to really curate it and you have to set it up in a way that you're not listening to all that noise because if you do get caught up in that noise that will take you away from concentrating on what's important
1: Right. Understandable. All right. Let's talk about uh, what is important. Let's talk about optimizing position size. Now, uh, Brian, I I think uh, a common problem in trading is uh, everybody wants to hit the home run. All right. Go all in. Want to make big money. This is a big money game. Uh, Or, you know, can I buy as much as I can? What's my limit size? Now let, let's dig into the conversation. Talk about position sizing. Now there's there's this fallacy out there that uh, if only I can trade a ten lot, a twenty lot, a hundred lot, I'd make a ton of money. Now how do you get started thinking about position sizing?
0: Yeah, the first thing I do is I step back a little bit, and I I have to say that the idea of wanting to get rich quick in trading is very dangerous. I always say that the same trading style that takes a $20,000 account to a million dollar account in six months is the same trading style that takes a million dollar account back to a $20,000 account. Uh, There's obviously not any risk management in there. Uh, When you're trading, it's about hitting singles and doubles and hitting them over a long period of time. And as your, um, as your account size builds, those singles and doubles are larger. So the way I, approach position sizing is I reverse engineer it. I start with my account equity, okay? And let's just say for argument's sake, account equity is $100,000. And then I figure out what percentage of my account equity do I want to risk on any trade? Maybe it's 1%, maybe it's a half a percent, whatever. Let's say it's 1%, so it's $1,000. All right, if I'm looking to enter a trade, and I'll, I'll use an example in stocks here, but it, it it has some parallels in in futures. If I'm looking to put a trade on, I'm going to be doing it based on the charts and only on the charts. Because if I do some random size position, 500 shares or whatever like that, the stock may get to my, my uncle point and I may sell out before it hits a technical point where it should turn around. So, for example, $100,000. I'm gonna use 1% of my equity on a trade. I'm gonna risk $1,000. So I'm gonna enter a stock uh, if it breaks 100. And I'm gonna look at my charts before I get in there, I'm gonna say, okay, where's the reasonable point where if the stock comes down to, I made the wrong call and I'm out? And where's the reasonable expectation for reward? Basically a risk versus reward. And I'm going to base that upon um, – it could be based upon a moving average. It could be based upon a support or resistance level, um, whatever you want to do. So let's say I say, OK, I I see there's a potential for three points on this stock. And there's a potential for a one-point loss. And I know that I'm going to only risk $1,000. Well, I take that $1. I divide it into 1000 and that's my position size, 1000 shares. Now, that way, I know that – If I get stopped out at my max, A, I haven't lost more than what I'm comfortable with. And B, I've only lost a small percentage of my overall uh, account equity. Now, the idea is you want to be in trades that are only a one to three risk reward ratio minimum. That means you're going to risk one unit, so to speak, for a potential three unit reward. If you're in smaller smaller ratio trades, it doesn't make sense because... The higher the the reward to the risk, the fewer amount of trades you actually have to be right on. So you can be right on 30 40% of your trades still make money if you're doing a one to three or one to four, one to five risk reward ratio. The other thing that's great about sizing this way is that organically you're trading bigger as you're doing better. So if you're, you're, killing it, you're, you're winning on your trades, you're adding to your account equity, that 1% keeps getting bigger, bigger, and bigger as your account gets bigger. Conversely, if you're doing bad and your account equity is coming down, organically, your risk is getting smaller and smaller and smaller as it should. So this is the way I look at it. I reverse engineer it. Um, and that way it takes out any of, um, you know, the subjectivity on my part.
1: Now, now, Brian, you talk about uh, talk about the the max position size and and position size and so is
0: does this depend on the behavior of the stock or the future also? No, no, I stay consistent uh, with my sizing uh, no matter what the trade is. I, I my goal is to um, to use a very formulaic way of sizing my positions. Um, I mean, I, there have been times uh, when I'm swing trading. And uh, a position is gone in my favor and I think it's in an uptrend and maybe it pulls back to a a, a shorter term uh, moving average and it bounces that I will add to it. But in terms of trading, which day trading or trading, you know, one or two day uh, holding periods, uh, I always stay consistent in my sizing. All
1: right. How about risk? We talk about risk a lot. Risk is a big part of this business now. uh, Do you vary your position size when the risk is
0: higher? Uh, no, I, I don't take those trades. I try to avoid trades where the risk is higher. Um, I, For me, I would rather trade less and pick better risk-reward trades than to try to push it and have some that are suboptimal okay. because then all you do is churn up your account. Right. Understandable. Uh, do you have a checklist? Checklist. Do we, do we talk
1: about a checklist? I know – I've got a checklist here when I do have the opportunity to trade. Uh, do you have a checklist that you go through when entering a trade?
0: You know, I don't think I have a checklist. Uh, I certainly don't have one that I, I write down. Uh, it's It's kind of internalized after thirty years of trading. The one thing that I do make sure because I trade off of candlesticks, is I always make sure that a candle has finished. Now I know that sounds silly, but sometimes you'll you'll look at a uh, a setup and it will look really sweet halfway through the candle and you'll go, I'm going to enter it. And then by the time the candle finishes, it's not as sweet as you thought it was. So I guess that's kind of the thing that I put in place to help me with my patience is to make sure that whatever time frame I'm trading off, whether it's a daily chart of candlesticks or a five minute, or whatever, make sure that that, that last candle, the one that's going to trigger my setup or the one that's going to tell me the setup is, is valid, is finished. It's completed. Okay. Now you mentioned internal, you know,
1: I do that, uh, I use that also uh, as in asking myself questions. Is there a reason you're putting this bid on? Is there a reason that you want to sell here? Uh, why is your stop there? Uh, why are you getting out of the market? You know, And usually, you know, what I tell our traders here on the broadcast is, you know, you got to have a, correct answer you got to have an answer when you start asking yourself questions you don't have an answer then you know what you're not following the game plan you're improvising uh you know you're just flipping a coin rolling the dice so have an answer to that and i agree with you on that
0: and that's a big reason why i do everything off of charts and technical analysis because once again it gives you objective criteria you can't fudge it i mean you can try but it's going to call you out and say "Eh, you're just putting this trade on because you're doing a revenge trade you know Exactly. Exactly. Now, uh, Brian, for somebody just getting started, I know
1: that in this electronic business, there's a lot of people out there that are like, wow, I can trade now. I can, I can, I can trade futures. Yeah, I can do this. Um, you meet somebody that's just starting out. What would be the best advice that
0: you would give that person? Well, I'll tell them two things. The first thing is going back to what I said before is figure out what your personality is. Are you someone that can handle a lot of noise, a lot of volatility, a lot of unknowing uh, periods of time? Great. Or are you someone that really needs to have your answers quick, someone that needs to you know, get your rewards quick? Marry your style of trading with your personality. The second thing I would say, and and I know this is going to probably step on a lot of toes, but I'm not a big believer in paper trading. Um, And the reason why is because I feel like you can't really understand how you'll react in the market until you actually have money at risk. I've met people who've done great paper trading before and they're ready to go and they hop in the market and they crumble. So what I say is instead of paper trading, do small trades. I mean, with commissions the way they are now, Um, you know, you can do, you can risk 25 bucks, $50, a hundred dollars, whatever it is, get a feel for how you'll act and how you'll react when you're down or when you're up. I think that's a much truer representation of how you'll, um, trade going forward than paper trading and get your system and your methodology, you know, bulletproof on those small trades. And then all you have to do is scale it up. So that would be my two pieces of advice I'd give new traders. All right.
1: Now, being in this business, there are a lot of scary situations, uh, a lot of stressful situations. um, But uh, share with us, what's your scariest trade you ever made?
0: So, uh, well, I never put on a trade where I was scared to put the the trade on because if I put it on and I was scared, that's a sign to me not to put it on. Um, but I was—I've been in situations where I didn't act appropriately, and I got in bad um, in bad trades. I'll tell you the one that sticks out in my mind It was a long time ago, and I was trading uh, stock uh, Oakley, which uh, makes the um, the Oakley glasses. It's no longer, right. yeah, yeah. They got—I think they got bought by Luxottica, but their symbol used to be OO. And for some reason I had this idea that, it, you know, Oakley was going to be a big move. And I, I, this was before I had really, um, formalized my sizing policy and I had a lot of shares at Oakley and I kept building a position, building a position. And I was kind of being laxadaisical, almost like, uh, out of sight, out of mind, just pretending it wasn't happening and hoping it would go to the moon and I'd make tons of money. And I remember saying to myself, you know, I should put a stop loss in on this position and I didn't. And I can count on my my hand the number of times I've been asleep when the opening bell uh, happened. Uh, it's less than 5 times in 30 years. I'm usually up at least an hour and a half before the market. For some reason, uh this morning I was uh, I I wasn't up when the when the opening bell happened. And there was some news story on Oakley and it ticked down a little bit and then after the news story came out, they came out with some big announcement that their main distributor Sunglass Hut was returning a ton of their uh, their stock and closing a bunch of stores which was obviously going to impact their sales and the stock dropped tremendously uh and i was down 50% uh in a matter of minutes on my position and the thing is is that the news that came out early ticked the stock down a little bit and it ticked it past where i would have had my stop in and i would have been stopped out and maybe lost 5% instead of 50% jeez oh, and then of course i you know i held yeah. on to that position for almost a year and it you know, th- waiting for it to come back and it didn't. And so it wasn't a big amount. I, I think, you know, I, I was maybe I maybe was down ten or fifteen thousand dollars. But this is when I was first starting to trade. And, you know, it was half of my account equity and that was a lot of money for for a guy in his early 20s. Right. Good old hopium. Yeah, said <laughs> that many a times
1: on the floor. Is there, yep. is there a trading god? Uh, no, there's not. It's who was that? So no, you're on your own. And uh, yes, there's only guitar gods, no trading gods. Guitar gods. There you go. Um, now let's uh, let's move on to one of my favorite questions. Um, your favorite toy? Now, throughout your career, you've you've uh, earned. Uh, Obviously, if you're married, you've uh, got some kids and, and, and so forth, a solid drummer, a lacking husband, a terrible poker
0: player, uh, punk rock, and you work at an ice cream store. So what's your favorite toy? Yeah, and I'll tell you real quick, the ice cream store thing. Uh, the reason I put that in there is kind of an inside joke. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Joe Fami, who is a professional money manager in, in New York. Uh, he said, you know, when people ask you what you do and you tell them how you trade stocks and everything, it's just so complicated because then they want to ask you all these different questions and you end up being there for an hour. So he just tells people, yeah, I work in an ice cream shop. So that's that's why I put it on my uh, my bio. Uh, in terms of my favorite toy, uh, toy, you and I were speaking before the before we went live and uh, it's in my bio. So it's my drum set. I've got a, a Gretsch Catalina. Um, burnt walnut finish drum set and uh, i love it and whenever i get a chance I, I i bang out uh bang out a beat out in the garage now how long have you been playing drums so i started when i was 17 and i just turned 50 so you know was it 33 years give or take
1: there you go
0: there you go just beat the skins as as you put it here <laughs> Yeah. Desert. And I'm not, you know, I'm really not as good a drummer as I should be after 33 years. And the reason is, is because I don't want to go out and practice measures and I don't want to go out and do uh, rudiments. When I sit down at the drum, I just want to beat it. Right. Uh, it's a very um, athletic endeavor for me. It's very cathartic, especially after a bad trading day. So, but uh, you know, like I said, that's why I said I can, I can hold a beat. Right. Well, punching bag, drum set.
1: Um, it's a good vent. That's for yep. sure. Uh, how about your favorite trade at the moment throughout your career? What was your favorite trade?
0: Well, uh, you mean uh, you mean favorite trade one that sticks Let's, out as memorable? Some
1: one that sticks out that you said, "Boy, I am the best thing that ever came to trading ever."
0: <laughs> oh boy! Um, well, I'll tell you one. Okay, I'll tell you one. So this is an interesting trade. This was back when we were in the middle of financial crisis, and. Stocks were going crazy at that time, and it was a Thursday, Thursday before options expiration, and I was going to put some money into the market, uh, what we call lotto tickets. It's basically when you buy a uh, uh, an option that's going to expire very quickly, or in this case, or in. Contemporaneously, now you can do these weekly options. So I was going to put some money in and I was going to put some money on Intercontinental Exchange, ICE. And the reason I was is because the day before, uh, the UK authorities had banned all short selling on any financial stocks. And I remember thinking to myself, what if they did that here in the United States? If they did that, I thought for sure all the financial stocks would go crazy. So I remember putting – just a little bit of money in and I remember the options were like 50 cents and I didn't think much about it. Next morning I woke up and sure enough, the, uh, the U S authorities had banned short selling on about 125 different stocks. One of which was, uh, intercontinental exchange and the stock went through the roof. Right. And I turned on my computer and it was now bidding at 13, like 13 by 13.90. And I was like, oh my god, I'm making a ton of money. And then the stock kept going up and up and up. And the bid and the ask didn't go up. And I was like, hmm. Well, and at this point, the the stock, the option should have been worth about $22, $23 a piece. And the stock kept going up and up. And it's still, it was stuck at 13 by 13.90. And part of me said, hit the bid. Just hit it right now. Close this position out. And the other part of me said, no, you got another $10 that you're owed, right? And so I vacillated for a moment or two, and then I said, forget it, I'm hitting it. And I, I got out at like 1325. By the way, hitting it is not a word, but it is when you're trading. And I didn't think much about it, you know. But as the day went on, it turned out here's what happened when they banned short selling on the financial stocks, at some point, all the options market makers just walked away from the market because they could no longer hedge their option trades by shorting the stock in the open market. Right. So that 13 by 1390 was the highest that the price had ever gotten. It was basically the price before the ice market maker said, I'm sorry, I'm not making markets right now. So in retrospect, I guess it was a little bit lucky, but there was something inside of me, uh, that said, take what you've got. And it also said when markets are not working correctly, um, and the mechanics are breaking down, which is what was happening here, it's time to be out. And that mentality got me out of the market with a nice profit, um, not as much as I technically should have had, but um, I think it served me well. I think so too. Well, well done. Well done. Now, Brian, um,
1: where can people find you online? I know that uh, I've come through a few uh, instances here. I just want to open that up so uh, our listeners
0: can uh, follow you. The easiest way is just to Google Brian Lund and stocks, but you can also find me on Twitter uh, at BC Lund. And you can find me on my blog, which is The Lund Loop uh, or uh, www.bclund.com. All right. fantastic. So once again,
1: here, www.bclund.com. Check it out. If you are on Twitter, that's at bclund, L-U-N-D. L-U-N-D. And uh, Brian, I really appreciate you being here uh, with us. And uh, I just want to maybe down the road, invite you back again and we can, uh, we can talk some more. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. All right, Brian, all the best to you. Trade well, my friend, and uh, we'll catch you again. Thanks a lot. All right, Jay, what'd you think of Brian's experience?
2: I really liked it. It was clear. That he has a very defined trading style and process. Yes, he does. Yeah, he loves to keep things simple, and we know that simple always seems to win, doesn't it?
1: You know, that's, that's just it. Uh, you, you need to keep things simple. What do they say? The good old KISS method. Right. Keep it stupid simple.
2: I think it's the other way around. Keep simple it simple s-
1: stupid. Yes, I think so. <laughs> yeah, he keeps it simple. Very simple, and uh, that's part of success.
2: Absolutely. And most importantly, I think it's that he's not in trading to make a ton of money quickly.
1: I know that we all would love to make a ton of money quickly as quick as we can. But uh, being in this business for so long, it's it's a long process. It's a journey. I think he's been
2: doing it for what, 30 years and every day, very methodically up at, you know, crack of dawn and works hard every single day.
1: Well, you have to. You've got to work. You've got to do your homework. You've you've got to uh, try to progress. You have to. Uh, you have to work on just about any aspect of trading. Now, uh, one of the things that he had uh, he talked about, which I think was one of the better highlights here in the interview, was risk management and position sizing. Now, those two things are so very important. Now. It, <laughs> sound like a broken record which which I admit every day but uh, you can you never hear a successful trader say they made a career by being a gunslinger and uh, a lot of new traders come in and they they've got that uh, that buzz of hey you know this is easy it's either a buy or a sell and when we talk about gunslingers we talk about people that uh, like to trade with no rhyme or reason Right, just throw something on. Flip of the coin, roll the dice. That doesn't happen in successful trading.
2: Absolutely, Eddie, and you know trading. I know business, and uh, I found the same to be very true about business. You know, no one goes into uh, starting a business and expecting to go from zero sales to a million dollars in profits in the first year. That just doesn't happen.
1: Now, Let, let me ask you something. I, isn't there a, uh, a rule of thumb in the business where you have to have enough money put away for a full year in case that first year is a loss?
2: I've heard that before. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Now, that's the thing with trading too. Each and every day, you can't jump into trading saying, how much am I going to make? How much am I? The thing is, the smart way to approach trading is saying, how much can I afford to lose?
2: Absolutely. And I think that's what Brian really uh, talks a lot about, is it's not about the profits alone. It's about this risk to reward profile. I think that's what he called it, correct?
1: Right. Yes.
2: And, And I think he used... A one to three ratio, if I r- recall correctly, and I believe
1: he did. Yeah, yeah, one to th- a one to three ratio uh, at minimum, right?
2: Absolutely, and I use a very similar ratio in business all the time. You know, no banker or investor or anyone in business is ever going to say. I'm gonna give you a lot, a lot, a lot of money for a very, very, very small return. So you really have to think about this one to three ratio quite frequently.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the big things too is what he did say was figuring out a style of trading that fits your personality. And, you know, I can honestly say that on the broadcast. We talk about that just about every day. Uh, The question is, is this the right market? The question is, am I the right type of person to trade this type of market? You know, a lot of people get uh, wound up and get uh, tied in with, um, I call it fashionable markets. You know, like Bitcoin, for example. You know, everybody ran to Bitcoin. Um, Prior to that, we had a fashionable market called crude and uh, not everybody can trade crude you know a lot of our personalities are fast-paced fast-paced a lot of personalities we have are more or less laid back so that's that's a uh, that's a number one winner is finding a market that fits your personal characteristics
2: absolutely i totally agree eddie and that was by far my biggest takeaway from uh, brian's piece was that finding a trading style that fits your personality is absolutely critical and I, I, I think that's why he loves to trade the charts, right? Because it removes the, the personality, it removes the subjectivity. It basically keeps him honest in his trades.
1: Right. Yeah, it's one thing you got to do. I mean, uh, you got to be honest in your trades, you got to be honest with yourself. And then you'll start seeing that light at the end of the tunnel, it'll be there. Uh, another interesting tactical tip we was talking about uh, allowing the trade to fully form before he jumped in. uh, I know that he mentioned he looks at technicals relating to the candle fishing, right? Talking about charts and our candlesticks. Uh, The bottom line is he'd rather get into a trade at a worse price than jump the gun and potentially risk getting in a bad trade. Now You see a lot of that. uh, All the traders, you know, I even catch myself doing that. Now, great traders are willing to miss the trade in order to miss losing trades as well. So uh, it's a give and take, and sometimes you're giving more than you're taking to uh, establish a good take. Makes perfect sense,
2: absolutely. I think uh, Brian had a ton of great tips in there, and I really like this candle finishing idea.
1: All right, well Jay, uh, it's been great having you here once again, and hopefully we'll have you back again.
2: It's been great being here, Eddie, thank you so much.
1: All right, traders, thanks for spending time with us. If you liked this interview, Check out our other conversations on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Also, it would really help us out if you leave a rating or review. You can always provide us some feedback at LimitUp at topsteptrader.com. And Jay, have a great day.
2: Thank you. You too, Eddie.
1: All right. Talk to everybody next time. Take care.